we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. I'd like for you to take God's Word and go with me, if you would, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. I'm going to read one verse of Scripture. Now, we're going to look at several verses of Scripture tonight, and uh, I hope to be an encouragement and a blessing to you. I've been preaching on Sunday nights on reasons, and uh, we've noted some reasons uh, that we should uh, read God's Word. And I hope that you are, are reading the Bible this year. I pray that God would uh, speak to you through His Word. Uh, but we looked at different reasons that we should read God's Word. Uh, we looked at reasons uh, that you should pray. And uh, we're praying that God would motivate us and encourage us to pray. I hope that you are seeking the Lord in prayer. Uh, we looked at reasons that you should faithfully attend the meetings of the church. Now, what does the Bible have to say about these things? What does the Bible have to say about reading the Word of God? What does the Bible have to say about prayer and church attendance and why we should attend church? And then we looked at reasons that you should witness why we should tell other people about the Lord. And tonight, I come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 uh, with another installment <laughs> in this series. And uh, that is reasons, uh, reasons that you should rejoice. Reasons that you should rejoice. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 16, rejoice evermore. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word tonight, and we pray that we would be instructed through your word, and that the Holy Spirit would not only teach us, but bring us to a place of conviction, a place of obedience, a place of change, and that you would help us, Lord, to learn to rejoice. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God said in his word, rejoice evermore. That means all the time. Rejoice. Rejoice in uh, the good times. Rejoice in the not-so-good times. Rejoice in the exciting moments of life. Rejoicing what oftentimes we perceive to be as the dull or mundane moments of life. Rejoice when it seems as if things are going our way. Rejoice when it seems like everything is going against us. God has said in his word, he's commanded that we rejoice evermore. Uh, the word rejoice means to be glad. To rejoice is to be glad. And I want us to note some things about rejoicing. Just by way of introduction, before I get into the reasons that 
we should rejoice, the reasons that you and I uh, as believers should rejoice. And I, I want us to think about the root of rejoicing. What is the root of rejoicing? What is it that we are to rejoice over? And how is it that we can rejoice evermore? Well, I think we can rejoice, no doubt, in our relationship with God. We can rejoice in our relationship with Him. The Bible said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You and I who know the Lord can rejoice in our relationship with Him. We are to rejoice in Him. And if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We were once strangers and aliens. But now we are fellow citizens. We are uh, part of the household, the family of God. And so we can rejoice in our relationship with God. And here's what we know about Him. He is faithful. Amen? Amen. He is faithful. Uh, we can rejoice in the revelation of God, in His truth. And oftentimes, in the midst of our circumstances and difficulties, our minds drift. And temptations and snares come to us, and we're tempted to think things that are not proper, things that are not truthful. We can feel as if God has failed us or that God has forsaken us. But we need to be encouraged by knowing that God is faithful in difficulties and trials, in disappointments. God is faithful. And the source of that, of course, is our relationship to him and his revelation, the truth that he's given to us. So the root of our rejoicing is our relationship to God. It is the revelation of God. It is also in the righteousness of God. That God is just and right. That God will always do right. And then the root of our rejoicing is the rule of God. He is sovereign. He's in control. He has not lost grips with what's going on in our world or with what's going on in our lives. God is working. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Our lives are in God's hands. He is in control and we can trust him. So the root of our, of our rejoicing is our relationship uh, to God. He is faithful. It is in the revelation of God, his truth. Uh, it is in the righteousness of God. He is just. And it is in the rule of God. He is sovereign. That's the root of our rejoicing. If it's any other thing, if it's our circumstance or our emotion, uh, then we will not be able to rejoice evermore. Right. Therefore, we have to have the proper root that produces the fruit of rejoicing in our lives. Then I thought about the results of rejoicing. What happens when you and I rejoice? Well, first of all, rejoicing glorifies God. It brings glory and honor to Him as we recognize Him, as we recognize His truth and His promises, as we recognize His sovereignty. We glorify our God. Rejoicing embraces the promises of God. In the midst of trials and tribulations, in the midst of these disappointments of life, 
we can embrace the promises of God, that he has never left us nor forsake us, that the God of the whole earth will do right, that he will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory, that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You see, we can embrace his promises in the midst of our trials and tribulations, in the midst of our difficulties. Rejoicing, thirdly, rests in the goodness of God. It rests in the goodness of God to know that God is good and that God is working on our behalf, that God will bring about his purposes in and through our lives. A fourth result of rejoicing that I've written down is that rejoicing strengthens the weak. Rejoicing strengthens the weak. As we are weighed down with manifold temptations and troubles, as we get weary in our flesh, as we learn to rejoice, we are strengthened in the inner man. As we look to Christ, as we trust in his word, as we appropriate his word and his promises in our lives, we're strengthened. Rejoicing, number five, gladdens the heart. Uh, when we're downcast, when we're discouraged, when we're sad and somber, rejoicing in God will produce joy in us and gladden our hearts. Number six, rejoicing sustains the suffering. In the midst of those trials and afflictions, as we're suffering, as we're dealing with difficulties, especially when it doesn't seem that they will come to an end or there's any explanation for why these sufferings are being uh, experienced, if we can learn to trust God and rejoice in Him, then that will sustain us in suffering. And then number seven, rejoicing guards the tongue. Rejoicing guards the tongue. You see, in the midst of our troubles and trials, what are we tempted to do? Complain and to murmur. Uh, to accuse God of being unjust. To profess with our tongue that God is not faithful, that God is not good, that somehow God has lost control and everything is going wrong. When in truth we know everything is going right, even in the midst of our suffering. And we're tempted when those times come to us to begin to complain and to begin uh, to murmur. But if we rejoice, it will guard the tongue. What happened to Paul and Silas at midnight after they were beaten and placed in the prison? They sang praises to God. And then finally, number eight, rejoicing directs the thoughts of our minds to Christ. We think about him. For consider him, the Bible says, consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and become faint in your mind. When we think of the trouble that we're experiencing, what should we do? We should consider him. And as we consider him, we consider what he has done for us and what he will do for us. So we've seen the root of rejoicing. Our rejoicing is rooted in our relationship to God. It's rooted in his revelation. It is rooted in his righteousness. It is rooted in his rule. And we have seen some results of rejoicing. Rejoicing glorifies God. It embraces the promises of God. It rests in the goodness of God. 
It strengthens the weak. It gladdens the heart. It sustains the suffering. It guards the tongue. And it directs our thoughts to Christ. I think it's good for us to learn to rejoice, isn't it? It's good for us to learn to rejoice. And it's more challenging for some of us than it is for others to rejoice. And so with this commandment given to us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, we understand that God commands his children to rejoice evermore. And to do anything less is to sin against him, is it not? To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And so the Bible tells us that we're to rejoice. And then the Bible gives us reasons that we should rejoice. And these are reasons that we should keep in mind tonight if we're going to rejoice evermore. And I want to give them to you, and I hope you'll write them down. We won't spend uh, much time on each one because there are eight of them that we want to cover. So you've done a lot of writing already. If you're taking notes, we'll have a little bit more to write, but we're trusting God to help us. And these are important things for us to know. I want you to go with me to Luke chapter 10 and verse 17. Would you turn there with me? Luke chapter 10 and verse number 17. And uh, when Jesus sent out the 70, he sent them out two by two uh, to preach the gospel. He gave them power over unclean spirits. And uh, he gave them power uh, to perform miracles. And uh, they returned again in Luke chapter 10 and verse 17. And the word of God tells us, and the 70 returned again with joy. <laughs> Thanks be to God for that. They returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. They said, the devil had no power over us as we went in your name. Verse 18, and he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not. Rejoice not in the fact that I've given you this power. But rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So I want to give you something to rejoice about tonight. If you know Jesus, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, I shared this with our young people in chapel this week. I'd like for you to go with me to Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 11. Revelation chapter 20, we'll look in verse number 11, and we're going to see the really significant truth of having your name written in heaven. Revelation 20 and verse number 11, you have the great white throne judgment. John says, and I saw a great white throne. This is the judgment of those who have rejected Jesus throughout all ages. All those who have ever lived and have rejected Christ will appear at the great white throne judgment. This great white throne judgment will take place after the thousand year uh, reign of Christ, after the rebellion that Satan leads, after the Lord Jesus puts down that rebellion, uh, then he will judge the dead. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. 
And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books. Let me again explain to you what that term the dead means. It means those who have died in unbelief. They're not only physically dead, but they are spiritually dead. They are going to suffer the second death. And there are volumes of books that God has that records the deeds of the dead. All of our sin, in light of God's law, is listed in the books. And you can take the Ten Commandments and any of the commands of the Lord, and you can look at the books, and you can look at the life of the dead, and this is the word, guilty. Guilty. Guilty of all sin. You see, if you violate the law in one command, you are a lawbreaker. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. That is the penalty of our sin. And so the books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And whose names are written in the book of life? The names of those who have received the forgiveness of their sin. They have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. They have moved from death unto life through faith in Christ Jesus. Their names are recorded in the book of life. Now, if your name is recorded in the book of life, there is no record against you in the books. If you know Jesus, they can look through those books and they can't find your name because your name is in the book of life. And when your name goes into the book of life, when they look at your record, uh, there's a copy and paste of the record of Jesus. Aren't you glad to know that? His righteousness is imputed to my account. He pleased the Father at all things, at all times, at all points. He did all things that pleased the Father. And when they look at the record of Scott Hooks, who did not do all things that pleased the Father, but because he trusted in the finished work of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus is imputed to his account. And when you see my record, you're going to see the same record that you see with Jesus. Amen. And you might say, well, I, my name ought to be there in those other books because I certainly have done a lot of things that displeased the Lord. And yes, you did. But I want you to know, through the righteous record of Jesus Christ, that record has been blotted out, it's been removed, it's been deleted. And you and I ought to rejoice that our name is written down in heaven. Amen. Let me give you something else to rejoice about. Rejoice in the expectation and the enjoyment of the reward of your labor in the Lord. Uh, look with me, if you would, in John chapter 4 and verse 34. John chapter 4 and verse 34, Jesus' disciples have gone off from the village and uh, they have gone to buy bread and uh, Jesus of course met the woman at the well and he has talked to her about her soul she has left her water pot 
And she went back into the village to talk to the men to tell them about Jesus. While she's gone, the disciples return. And they said, Lord, we've got some food. Are you ready to eat? And Jesus said in verse 34, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. What's happening? The, the men of the village are coming toward Jesus. They've heard the message of the woman, and they've come to see him. And so Jesus said, look on the fields. Here they come. You can see them with their head coverings on their head as they're coming to Jesus. Those white head coverings moving and bobbing in that field. It looked as if the breeze was blowing on the grains of harvest. Jesus said, look on the fields. They're white unto harvest. Verse 36, And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. He said, now, fellas, you're getting ready to be in on the reaping. We're going to see, we're going to see God bring in a harvest of souls right here. The Father's going to bring them in. They're going to believe in me. They're going to receive eternal life. And then he says in verse 37, And herein is that saying true, One soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap, that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered in to their labors. You see, the Bible says again in verse 36, I hope you didn't miss it, Both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. You and I may rejoice in the expectation and the enjoyment of the reward of our labor in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Everything you've done for the Lord Jesus, he's kept a record of, and he's promised that our labor will not return void it will not be vain it is profitable and it produces eternal dividends and so therefore whether we were the ones who were sowing the seed plowing the field watering the garden or whether we were the ones who had the joy of seeing the harvest if we're laboring together we can rejoice in the expectation and the enjoyment of the reward of our labor Praise be unto God. Now, the devil will tell you, well, you know, you're laboring, but nothing is happening. It's to no avail. And he will try to rob you of the joy and the promise of the harvest. I want to encourage you, let's labor together with the expectation that the reward is coming. So rejoice in the expectation and the enjoyment of the reward of your labor in the Lord. Number three, rejoice to be partakers of Christ's sufferings. Rejoice to be partakers of Christ's sufferings. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 10, the word of God says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you and I take a stand for truth, take a stand for Christ, if we take a stand for righteousness, and we're persecuted as a result of that. Reproached, condemned, reviled. Look at what he says in verse 11. 
Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets which were before you. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice when difficulties and trials come, when the world doesn't like the stand you take or the belief that you have, the conviction that you have about God's Word, or when you share the message of the gospel. The Bible says the world won't like it. And when they come against you, you should rejoice. Why? Because ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings. Knowing this, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of the glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. When you and I are willing to bear the reproach of Christ and identify with his afflictions, we glorify the name of Jesus. In Acts chapter 5, they said to the apostles, no more preaching in his name. And uh, they, they threatened them and they beat them and they, they imprisoned them. And finally, they released them with this charge that they no longer preach the name of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 5, the Bible says this in verse 41. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They said, Lord, we rejoice that we have become a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. Well, let me give you a fourth reason that we ought to rejoice. And that is that we're to rejoice through tribulations. We're to rejoice through tribulations in hope of the glory of God. Rejoice through tribulations in hope of the glory of God. You see, here's what we know, that God uses trouble and trial in our life to produce in us His image, to conform us to His image, to make us like Jesus, to teach us and to instruct us, and to prepare us for a life of service and an eternity of service to Him. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, the Word of God says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God, that God's glory is going to be accomplished in our world, in His church, and in our lives. We can rejoice in that hope. And then he says in verse 3, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, troubles, trials, distresses, and afflictions. We can glory in these tribulations knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And patience experience. And experience hope. You see, as we go through difficulties, we don't enjoy them, do we? We want out of them as soon as we get into them. 
and we start asking questions. Why is this happening? And we're praying for relief. And God gives relief, but often he gives us grace to endure in the trial. Paul said, Lord, three times I've asked you, remove this thorn in the flesh. And finally, what did God respond with? My grace is sufficient. And Paul said, therefore, I will glory in my infirmities. You see, Paul said, I came to know Christ in a greater way through these tribulations, through these sufferings. Christ was formed in me in a greater way. I understood more of him. It changed me. It produced the fruits of righteousness in my life. And therefore, I can glory in tribulations. And then in Romans 5, he says, we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. We have to endure some things. As parents, we endure some things with our kids. As employees, we endure some things on our job. Uh, as husbands and wife, we endure some times that are stressful in our marriage. As believers, we endure some seasons of, 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 of staleness and, and, and stagnant times in our walk with God. Unfruitful seasons in our Christian life. Tribulations come to us. Difficulties. I'm not talking in particular about the sufferings that uh, are the megas partaker rather of the afflictions of Christ. That's a separate thing. That's persecution that comes against us for the stand that we take for him, our identification with him. But these are the tribulations and trials that are common to man. But God uses those to produce in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So we can rejoice through tribulations in hope of the glory of God. Because these tribulations work patience, and then patience worketh experience. Some of you who've lived a little while, when you see young people getting all flustered about some of the difficulties that they're facing, you think this. You kind of smile, and maybe you say to your wife, they're going to be okay. They're going to make it. This is just part of life. They're going to be fine. They just got to endure some things, don't they? You know why you can say that? Because you have some experience with it. Amen. Now, when you say that, they're not going to be too encouraged and comforted, by the way. You know, it's like saying, suck it up, buttercup. You got to deal with it, right? That's really not what they're wanting to hear. But there's no way you can live it for them. They've got to experience it. So tribulation worketh patience and patience experience. And then here's what experience does for us. It produces hope. Hey, we've been through this before and God has sustained us. And therefore, as we go into it again, here's what we know. God will sustain us again. Amen. We have hope. And because we have hope of the glory of God, we can rejoice in the midst of these tribulations. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again, unto a lively hope. We have a lively hope, a living hope. And then he says this in verse 6, because of that hope wherein ye greatly rejoice. But here comes the but in the form of a though. We're rejoicing because we have this lively hope. But then he says, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness 
through manifold temptations. You ever seen somebody in a good mood? <laughs> Sometimes it's so rare we really just want to relish in it, isn't it? Man, he's in a good mood. She's in a good mood. What, what does that mean? It means they're light, they're carefree, they're happy. But we can't live our lives that way. We don't live our lives that way. We have moments like that. But we also have moments that Peter is describing here. In verse 6, heaviness through manifold temptations. And if I'm quiet at home, my wife wants to know, what's wrong with you? And usually when something's wrong with me, I will say this, nothing. And she knows it, right? We can get that way. Heaviness, manifold temptations. Verse 7, he says, That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, and whom though now ye see him not, yet believing. You see, here's the key. Faith in the midst of the trial. Yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. I can rejoice, yes, in heaviness of manifold temptations. Yes, how can I do that? Through faith, believing. So rejoice through tribulations and hope of the glory of God. John Phillips speaks of, uh, of, of this, and uh, he talks about James' word in James chapter 1 and verse 9, let the brother of low degree rejoice that he's exalted. Let the guy who's having a hard time, the guy who seems beat down, let him rejoice that he's exalted. He says the thought behind James' statement is that the brother who is poor or lowly can be glad because God has given him true riches and true rank in the kingdom of God. And Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So number four, rejoice through tribulations in hope of the glory of God. Number five, rejoice with others who rejoice. There's the fifth reason that you and I can rejoice. We can rejoice when others are rejoicing. Sometimes the flesh says, I don't want to rejoice with them. But a true believer will rejoice with a believer when he's rejoicing. Romans 12, verse 15, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. And Paul repeats a very similar command in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 26. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. So we ought to rejoice when others are rejoicing. Let me give you number six. Rejoice over the repentance of sin. Rejoice over the repentance of sin. The Bible talks about true love, Bible love, God's love. And it says, it thinketh no evil. Oftentimes, uh, our flesh, when we hear about the sins of others, well, we think evil. We think evil. We talk about how they deserve judgment. And even if we don't talk about it, we might think it. And we might just kind of wait. For something bad to befall them. 
Well, that's not the spirit of Jesus Christ, and that's not the love of God's people. Here's what Paul said, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 8. For though I made you sorry with a letter. Now, Paul wrote a tough letter, a reproving letter to Corinth. In 1 Corinthians, he wrote about the man who committed adultery. And uh, it, was a, it was an awful sin because he took his, his father's wife. And he, he reproved them over other sins that they had committed. And he said, for though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry. In other words, I'm not rejoicing that I made you feel bad. I'm rejoicing, rather, that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. He is rejoicing here over the repentance of sin, and you and I, ought to rejoice over the repentance of sin. When we see sinners come to God, when we ourselves commit sin or a family member commits sin or a church member commits sin and all of us do sin, right? Then we ought to rejoice over repentance. Let me give you number seven. Just two more and we're done. Number seven, rejoice when Christ is preached. Rejoice when Christ is preached. In Philippians, Paul is addressing the fact that some preach Christ for the wrong motive. And Paul said this in, in Philippians 1.18, What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. You know, there's so much for us to be critical about today, isn't there? And we certainly should pursue doctrinal purity. And we certainly should be true to God's word. But we can rejoice when Christ is preached. And may God help us to rejoice in the preaching of Jesus Christ. We can find lots of things to criticize. But let's be glad when Jesus is preached. Well, let me give you the last thing. Uh, We can rejoice finally in the Lord. We can rejoice in the Lord just simply in who he is. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Paul's saying to that religious crowd, look, we don't don't glory in ourselves. We don't rejoice in ourselves and in our righteousness. And we who know God and we who believe that we're walking in God's truth should not be lifted up in pride and rejoice in who we are or the position that we've taken. We should rejoice in the Savior. We should rejoice in Jesus. And may God help us to do that. I like what John Phillips said. I'll read this and we'll be done. No matter how dark the day is, the Lord is still the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord. He is still full of love and compassion. He is still concerned about us. Come what may, the Lord is still on the throne. He's still sovereignly in charge. He's still able to make all things work together for good. 
The Lord is still mighty to save. He's mighty to keep. Let us focus our eyes on the Lord, even though they are scalded with tears. He knows all about those tears, and He cares. He is still the Lord who loved us enough to die for us. He is still the Lord, high over all. Paul's exhortation is for us too. If we dwell on our sorrows, we will soon become depressed. If we feed our depression, it will grow until it sours all of life and renders us useless. The Lord taught my wife and me, Philip says, that lesson when one of our children was rebellious far from home and getting deeper and deeper into sin. We fasted and prayed. Every hour on the hour, we gave ourselves to a round of fervent prayer that God would save that wayward one, and he did. But not until after he had taught us to rejoice in the Lord, no matter what. Oh, we've got some reasons to rejoice, don't we? Let's ask God to help us to do that. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.